56 of Bhagavad Gita class. It's interesting in uh, chapter 16, there's a few statements by Krishna that I understand spurred Arjuna's question at the beginning of the 17th chapter. And one of those statements was, if you remember, Krishna was describing the divine and demonic natures. One of the statements was, uh, and they, they offer in charity, give sacrifice, full austerity, and they consider themselves very happy. But Krishna was describing the demonic qualities. And at the end of the 16th chapter, Krishna says, Yashastra-bhiri-bhutri-jā kamakarta that uh, if you abandon the regulations of the scripture and act whimsically, you attain no good, no good result. And so the beginning, then, then Arjuna has this very insightful question at the end of the 17th chapter. And he says, uh, do you want to read it, Krishna Prabhu? Just so I know which, which, which I more or less know what he, the first verse, the beginning of the 17th chapter. First verse, the beginning of the 17th yeah. chapter. Okay. 17, 1. Okay. Arjuna inquired, O Krishna, what is the situation of those who do not follow the principles of scriptures but worship according to their own imagination? Are they in goodness, in passion, or in ignorance? Okay, thank you. So you can see that Arjuna is thinking, what if someone's not following the rules and regulation, but they're trying to do something good, like according to their idea? So he, I, he's, he's, he's following that same thought, because Krishna was saying, this is a demonic quality. And so Krishna's then explaining in this chapter how simply this faith that's based on uh, our imagination, more or less imaginary gods or imaginary um, belief system, more or less it's just a product of the modes of nature. And, he, and he's showing how, um, how it operates in the different modes of nature. Um, and so, last week we, we spent some time looking at how it operates, especially eating food. We talked about food a lot last week, <laughs> and how it applies to the different modes. Um, but these things um, are done, so for instance, charity is done, austerity is done, sacrifice is done, eating is done, speaking is done. All these things are done, but if it's not done according to Shastra, um, then assert, it's, it's just faith within the three modes of material nature. So according to one's existence under the various modes of nature, one evolves a particular kind of faith. And, and Prabhupada was explaining this means where the living entity places their heart. Um, and, and therefore they associate with this mode of nature, which comes through people, and, and, and therefore they perform these activities either in goodness, passion, or ignorance. So, uh, men in the mode of goodness worship the demigods, those in the mode of passion worship the demons, and those in the mode of ignorance worship ghosts and spirits. Those who undergo severe austerities and penances not recommended in the scriptures, performing them out of, performing them out of pride and egoism. So to make up your own rules, there has to be some pride and egoism. <laughs> like there's a rule to the land, and as soon as the common man says, well, I don't have to, I don't have to uh, follow the laws of the land, I can just believe what I think is right and then go ahead and do that. Well, it, just, it doesn't work. Um, who are impelled by lust and attachment, who are foolish and who torture the material elements of the body, as well as the super soul dwelling within, are to be known as demons. 
Even the food each person performs is of three kinds according to the three modes of material nature. The same is true of sacrifices, austerities, and charity. Now hear the distinctions between them. So then Krishna goes on to explain the foods in the mode of goodness, the foods in the mode of passion, food in the mode of ignorance. Then he describes sacrifices. Um, so he says, this is, this is the first part of this particular chapter. So he's speaking about sacrifices in the mode of goodness. as done as a matter of duty. By those who desire no reward, this is of, is of the nature of goodness. Sacrifice performed for some material benefit, for the sake of pride, is in the mode of passion. And sacrifice performed without regard to the directions of scripture, without distribution of prashadam, without chanting of Vedic hymns and remunerations to the priest, and without faith considered to be in the mode of ignorance. And so we can see here that when these things are done in the mode of goodness, that means they're done according to Shastra. And then there's gradual elevation. But then, let's see, let's see what, um, what uh, Gangeya Prabhu was asking here. Because I wanted to have a, a brief discussion on this. Because he asked a really nice question. So he said, in text 14 through 17, many instructions on austerity and the mode of goodness for body, speech, and mind are given. Select about three of these instructions, one for the body, one for speech, one for the mind, which are especially relevant or important for you, and explain why. So I'd like to read each of these verses, and then maybe you all can, while I read, pick one out and just mention which one you thought stood out to you, just very briefly. So, austerity of the body consists in worship of the Supreme Lord, the Brahmanas, the spiritual master and superiors like the father and mother, and in cleanliness, simplicity, celibacy, and nonviolence. So these are all acts that we do with the, with the body. So what do you think, Elijah? Which of those? I have picked on celibacy for that one. Okay. I, was rem- I was reminded of this verse um, from the Bhagavatam about how Brahma was, Brahma was um, instructing his four sons, the Kumaras, to create progeny. And they weren't willing to do it because they were on such an elevated spiritual platform due to their stamina flowing upward. And so, I said, celibacy is observed until one begets a child for the purpose of bringing him to Krishna consciousness. Nice, very nice. How do you think that's going to help you in your, in your spiritual life? I think that it's something I should observe more strictly, as in, to it's 100%. So I want to become Brahmacharya. Yeah. Do so you see the importance of that training mm-hmm. to control the senses? Because um, lust is overwhelming and it uh, bears down on the body, mind, and soul. And that effect has been felt by people who have experienced that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, and if you remember, it reminds me of Krishna was saying earlier in the Bhagavad Gita, like if one of the senses get carried away, then the whole chariot of the body can be derailed. So like you were saying, lust is so powerful. So if we can't, if we don't learn to, to control the senses, we can be completely deviated from our spiritual path just by following one of our uncontrolled uh, senses. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the one I looked at is worship of the Supreme Lord, the Brahmanas, and the spiritual master. Uh, one should offer or uh, learn to offer respect to God or to the demigods. This is part of the purport, I think, in there. Uh, qualified Brahma, uh, Brahmanas, 
and the spiritual master and superiors like father, mother, or any person who is con conversant with the Vedic knowledge. This helps us to be respectful and humble, gives us the opportunity to take up our true positions as loving, devoted servants to the Lord. That's my addition. Um, so for me, the reason I chose that one is because to me that the idea of service, um, especially in our day and time, in our age, um, is still service in itself when you tell people that or you tell yourself that sometimes. It's like this weird slave word, you know. I'm a slave if I'm servant to someone, um, which is just totally ridiculous, you know. Um, that's your true position as a servant, um, a loving, devoted servant. So uh, we're serving somebody all the time. So the, the idea is that it's to really, in this day, we really need to, to find that humility within ourselves. I remember distinctly one time uh, when I was practicing Buddhism, I had a, um, an altar in my house and I was bowing to the Buddha. I had a friend over the house and basically when I was bowing to the Buddha, he was, he, he was, he, he was laughing, you know. And I said, what are you laughing at? And he, he says, he says, I don't know, it's just a weird bowing to something, you know. I mean, I, I can't see myself ever bowing to anything, you know. So again, it reminds me that always, again, sometimes those instances, those people are our greatest teachers because they reminded me how incredible our, our, our false ego can just run rampant, you know. So it's really important to always be humble and always remember our true positions, who we are. And that's the reason I chose that one. The time yes. of death, we all bow down, says Prabhupada. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. you may not want to do it while he's living, but eventually, yeah. you'll have to oh. bow. <laughs> we all have to. I got to the point now, I enjoy it. <laughs> when you were bowing down to the Buddha, was that something that you had assumed you were supposed to be doing, or had someone recommended it to you? No, that's, that's something in which, when I was practicing the time, that the, that the Rinpoche's always practice, and that's something that they were incredibly animate about. In Tibetan Buddhism, you bow into a lot of frustrations, and the reason you do that is it's, it's a part of humility, and it's a part of also honoring um, the Buddha, and honoring what, it, what he stand, stood for. So that's, that's part of that, and from their perspective. So, um, you know, they have whole retreats where you do prostrations the whole time. Yeah. You know, I mean, the most prostrations I did at once is 108. I was sore afterwards. And that's full prostrations I mean, going up and down. So, you know, I mean, so you, but after you do that, it's just like, wow, you know, you really, you really become, you know, strong and dirt, you know, type of thing. I mean, you really feel that humility and essential. It's like, geez, a little nervous, you know? So it, so that, that's, that's my answer. So, yeah, um, he suppose that it's more devoted to the idea of the Buddha instead of the person of the Buddha because there's been much several of them? It depends on the person that, that's, it depends on individuals, you know, on that. And that's a good question, you know, and one I ask myself, am I, am I, why am I exactly, what am I feeling and seeing and everything doing this? It was both for me. It was a personification of what he stood for and him himself. So um, I, I was more personal with it than I think most Buddhists would be. 
But that was just my nature to be more personal with it because I was looking for something more, you know. Is there, also, is there also an aspect to it where you're supposed to realize the Buddha within, so but it doesn't feel like you're worshiping yourself by being so um, humiliated, humble? Yes, yeah, that's part of it too as well. Because you're really looking for that true nature, as they call it, true nature with inside yourself, that connection. So it's, it's, it's more than that. You don't look at yourself as a Buddha. Um, nobody can really be a Buddha, um, not in this age. Um, but you can certainly humble yourself and, and serve. Okay, let's, let's go ahead and Yeah, Okay. You have one of those that stood out to you? Yeah, sure. <coughs> Satisfaction of the mind is one that really stands out for me. Um, Satisfaction of the mind can be obtained, Prabhupada says, only by taking the mind away from thoughts of sense enjoyment. Uh, sense enjoyment, uh, sense gratification, you know. We're pleasure-seeking entities, but it's enjoyment that's directed towards me, not towards Krishna. And that's when we get in trouble. <laughs> but essentially when we offer our food to Krishna, when we offer the results of our labor... Um, if, if, Krish, if everything that we do hinges on devotional service, then we ultimately derive greater satisfaction and ultimately have true satisfaction of the mind. So for me, I thought that was nice. Did you have anything else? Oh, I was looking for the list, but I didn't answer that. So yeah, so the, this one was austerities of the body consists of worship of the Supreme Lord, the Brahmanas, the spiritual master and superiors like the father and mother, and in cleanliness, simplicity, celibacy, and nonviolence. Yeah, 14 through 17, but he's listing out the different. One thing about bowing down is, um, it's actually said when we see a devotee, we should be uh, happy, like we should be feel joyful inside. <laughs> and we should offer our respects, and because like you know, Krishna is coming with the devotee, and um, that's you know again like our access to God in this world is through the devotee. So that's why you know Iskand culture is like offering respects to the servants of Krishna, and thereby in this, that way offering respects. So that's what Krishna is also saying. He's saying here the Brahmana is the spiritual master. So some, certainly the devotees who are like the most elevated loving entities in, in the world uh, beyond even the brahmanas, the devotees are beyond even the brahmanas. So offer respects to you. And it's important to like, talk about because we offer like, so many prostrations every day. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, he says, that's an eternal occupation of a living entity is offering obeisances. Mm-hmm. So he says, offering obeisances with devotion. These great souls perpetually, unfortunately. So, um, okay, so austerities of this speech consist in speaking words that are truthful, pleasing, beneficial, and not agitating to others, and also in regularly reciting Vedic literature. Anybody have any comments on that? Um, I had mentioned that regularly reciting the Vedas is beneficial for maintaining focus on what your goal is about. Yeah, that's good because like the constant flow of like Vedic literature is going to make us think about these topics. I'm sorry, I gave up. Yeah, I had the same thing actually about the Vedic literature. Um, 
and really it's right there in the report, I mean, talking, you know, about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you hear and read everything in Vedic literature, it reminds you of, it really keeps your mind focused towards that, and, and also what you talk about, too, as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's the reason I chose that one, because it's really very important. Yeah. I like something. I like, I like when Prabhupada says, uh, you know, pleasing to the ears, I think it is, or something like that. Basically, um, beneficial, not agitating, and pleasing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great honor to be able, or it's a great privilege to be able to give people, to be able to help people elevate their consciousness. So as Prabhupada says here, one should be very pleasurable. Uh, the words that one speaks should be very pleasurable to the ear. And by such discussions, one may derive the highest benefit and ultimately elevate human society. So that's always nice. Yeah. I just have one comment. Like, I feel like one is in the other because if you, if you kind of like say Vedic literature, then you will automatically speak truthful and pleasing and beneficial. So I feel like one is in the other. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. If you speak about Krishna, right. you speak words coming from Guru and It's naturally going to be that way. And Prabhupada actually comments um, on that particular verse on how we should um, back up our statements with, with Shastra. Right. And that way, like Prabhupada wanted us to learn his books so much that we, we understood. Because he is our main Acharya. He's our access to all the previous Acharyas. Right. So understanding what Prabhupada said, understanding what Krishna says, and being able to back up what we say with Shastra, um, Prabhupada was saying is very you know, pleasing in the assembly and very beneficial for everyone. Because, um, you know, we're always hearing from Prabhupada, we're always speaking what we hear from devotees, um, but just adding that extra confirmation is really nice too. And Prabhupada would do that when Prabhupada would give class. You'll, you'll notice Prabhupada, would, even when he wrote too, the way Prabhupada wrote and gave class, he's always um, quoting the previous acharyas, he's always quoting scriptures. And that's become the mood in is- Iskan. Like if you, if you listen to the leaders in Iskan, um, they'll, they'll refer to what Prabhupada said, refer to what Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, what uh, Narutam Das Thakur said, <laughs> Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, and what Shukadeva Goswami said. So that was the culture that Prabhupada gave us, what was totally in line with this verse, which is such a blessing for us. And as a side note, mm-hmm. it's also probably a good, uh, good basis if you're going to do a Bhagavatam class or, <laughs> or do a Bhagavad Gita class, is always remember when you're doing a, any kind of class or lecture is to try to grab that, from that idea as much as possible. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you have a lack of trying to think, well, what am I going to say? You know, well, there's a lot of things you can say. Just, mm-hmm. just repeat what Prabhupada said, repeat what, you know, the other, you know, the Islamic session said, what your spiritual master said, you know. So and if we're not, you know, not great at Sanskrit, it's nice to be able to learn the Sanskrit, because in and of itself, it's purifying, it's, it's a language of, of the Vedas, <laughs> of Krishna. Um, but if we can't, we, we can repeat the English, um, so we can always remember, like, English translations of what Krishna is saying. Um, and both are very... Wonderful. Okay, so the last one is satisfaction, simplicity, gravity, self-control, and purification of one's existence, 
are the austerities of the mind. So Govinda Mahaprabhu touched on mm. satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so does anybody want to add to the austerities of the mind? Anything that stood out? I'd said simply that satisfaction in simplicity is beneficial for taming the mind's desire because it's like a form of contentment but not in that I'm just saying that in order to avoid confronting that my mind has desires and I'm just dismissing it but that you're actually satisfied in the simplicity of it. Yeah, nice. So you could also say satisfaction and simplicity go hand in hand because without simplicity then how can we be satisfied? And the more complexity, the harder to get satisfied. Yeah, exactly. Because then there's more demands. If we can be happy with, you know, what Krishna gives us. It's actually, there's a really high standard, but it's Sandha Chaitanya Charta. And I'm not up to the standard. But the nature of devotee is that they never ask for anything. <laughs> so the example was given of, um, let's see, what's it? Madhavendra um, Puri. Madhavendra Puri, um, he was the um, spiritual master of Lord Jaitanya's spiritual master, Isra Puri, and, and, and his pastimes were recited when they went to um, the temple of Gopal, uh, reciting the different pastimes of how Gopal appeared to Madhavendra Puri. But Madhavendra Puri, he would never ask anybody for anything. He'd only take what came to him. He wouldn't eat unless somebody offered him some prasadam. And he, he was content in his devotion. So whether or not, like he was saying that the, the, the physical state of Madhavendra could not impede his devotion because he was that connected. And he just relied. Um, I mean, that's actually like a Vedic sannyasi, like mm-hmm. in Vedic times, they don't. Um, but they would still beg. And in, in the position of a devotee is actually beyond even um, sannyas. Sannyas is the highest order in the, uh, in the social um, class, the spiritual order. So, not that we're, we're there, we can never ask for anything. <laughs> but the, the idea is there of, of simplicity and taking mm-hmm. what, what comes from God naturally and um, you know, meditating on that way of living. Because it, then the mind the mind's satisfied in that way. Then what is what is there the need for anything else? You know, if we can find satisfaction. So, like I often meditate, you know, on the blessings um, of you know my, the little room I live in, because you know so many people have big big houses and mansions and have so much anxiety. But I have a little room and I feel happy and satisfied. So it's just you know that's the that's the blessing of devotional service. So you get out of that whole idea that I need like. All this stuff, <laughs> all these cars. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else have any? Yeah. Um, so I, I chose on that one self control. Um, so to make the mind austere is to detach it from sense gratification. Um, so to discipline the mind's thoughts, its distractions, indulgences, and attachments in, is imperative. Thoughts must be controlled and redirected. Instead of the mind being focused on frivolous things for sense gratification, one's mind should be directed towards devotional service, the Vedic texts, the spiritual master, and the holy names of the Lord.
also what I'm saying that I can't remember who said it, but and the mind is always agitated, but can, it can find rest at the lotus feet of Krishna. So nowhere else can the mind find rest, um, anywhere in existence, besides at the lotus feet of Krishna. So, you know, everybody's trying to find satisfaction, but it's just not possible. Um, okay, so, you know, the, the, in the end of the chapter, Krishna's then sharing how we can transcend uh, faith in the modes of nature. So there's many verses, but we'll just kind of sum it up here with, uh, let's see, Prabhupada's purport. In the conditioned state, people are attracted to worshipping demigods, ghosts, or yakshas like Kuvera. The mode of goodness is better than the modes of passion and ignorance, but one who takes directly to Krishna consciousness is transcendental to all three modes of material nature. Although there is a process of gradual elevation, if one, by the association of pure devotees, takes directly to Krishna consciousness, that is the best way, and that is recommended in this chapter. To achieve success in this way, one must first find the proper spiritual master and receive training under his direction. Then one can achieve faith in the Supreme. When that faith is mature, in course of time, it is called love of God. This is love. This love is the ultimate goal of the living entities. One should therefore take Krishna consciousness, take to Krishna consciousness directly. That is the message of this 17th chapter. Because uh, Krishna was saying, uh, the absolute truth is the objective of devotional sacrifice. And it is indicated by the word sat. The performer of such sacrifice is also called sat. As are all works of sacrifice, penance, and charity which True to the absolute nature, are performed to please the supreme person, O son of Prita. So, Krishna sums up um, how all these things can be purified when they're directed towards Om Tat Sat, which is the um, whole absolute truth um, in different aspects. So, okay, so who would like to share their discoveries? Okay, so... I took from uh, the 16th verse, part of the purport. It's a little sentence in there, kind of in the middle of it, I think. To purify one's nature is to become Krishna conscious. So my understanding of that is that I took from, actually, a quote from the uh, Sri Bhavatam, the third canto, 16th verse, or the 16th chapter, 6th verse. Anyone who takes uh, to Krishna consciousness is understood to be fully purified. He is at least engaged in the process of purification. And he sticks to the principle of Krishna consciousness. He will very soon be fully purified. Uh, An application. In this age of Kali, the method for purification is to chant the holy names of the Lord. In addition, one needs to associate with pure devotees. Hear from the bona fide Vedic literature from pure devotees and follow instructions, the instructions of the bona fide spiritual master. This is how to purify one's nature and become Krishna conscious. And a little a beginning of uh, talking about purification from Krishna.com, their definition of that, a uh, little first part of their definition. The practices of Krishna consciousness or bhakti yoga are meant to free us from the root cause of all anxiety to reawaken, reawakening our normal eternal spiritual happiness. The process is simple. Meditation on the name, form, activities, and qualities of Krishna. Nice. So you went back to the purificatory 
uh, medicine. Um, And that's really what it's about, because Krishna is saying, yeah, you know, sacrifice, charity, penance, austerity, it's not all good. And some people think, you know, if I do sacrifice, it's good, but it's not all good. Charity is not all good. Not all charity is good. Not all austerity is good. Um, And so it comes back to if we don't do things according to um, God's way, then we're going to be caught up in the modes of nature. So Krishna has already said, that we can overcome the modes of nature by performing bhakti yoga, unfailing in all circumstances. When performs bhakti yoga, unfailing in all circumstances, he can um, overcome the modes of nature. Otherwise, we're always influenced by the modes of nature constantly. And that's, that's our, our, our conditioned state. So the purification process has to be there because the default is to be in the modes of nature. So when we're still in a mixed state of consciousness, sometimes we're doing things um, in the modes of nature and sometimes we're doing things um, transcendental. But we're always trying to, to follow these purificatory processes because through faithfully doing that, um, um, when it becomes unfailing in all circumstances, then we were lifted above the modes of nature. But otherwise, like these ideas of doing you know, so many different things being beneficial, they're just, they're just not. They're just a product of the modes of nature. So, thank you. Okay. So, I chose part of the report from 23. Text 23. And it's right by the end where, where it says, Krishna Consciousness is a scientific execution of transcendental activities which enable one to return home back to Godhead. There is no loss of energy in acting in such a transcendental way. Um, I just love when I can find different ways to express the practice, and this was one of them. So I, I, I really love that because it is... It not only helps me with my preaching, but it, it's also very encouraging. Like me personally, when I when I hear that you know this process is scientific, there is a process, there is a practice, and it, it's like encouraging to me personally. It's very encouraging, and it's a it's an always ever fresh and ever encouraging reminder that it is a process, that it, it does have results, that you know Krishna is very real, and he and he like interacts with you and reciprocates and yeah it just brings back all the nice juicy stuff <laughs> so my um, application to that is keep reading because every time I read I get so inspired and encouraged to write and and encouraged to just keep practicing the more you keep on sharing the more I appreciate you too the more realization um, another thing is to always be hearing about um, those great devotees like like, like those that we want to emulate. Yes. Like when we hear about you know, the great Acharyas and, and the Six Goswamis and all these wonderful associates of Lord Jaitanya, we just, um, like, it, it shows us that it's real, like you were saying. Wow, like, actually, somebody can reach this state of consciousness, mm-hmm. like Madhav and Jaipuri, where like, he's just completely happy and satisfied, and he doesn't ask for a thing. Sometimes he's, he's hung, physically, sometimes he's hungry. And actually, Gopal, because of his devotion, he appeared personally to Madhavendra Puri and gave him a glass of milk. 
but he, because of his yoga maya, Mother Vijayapuri didn't recognize it as Krishna. He just thought he was this you know, very beautiful boy. And it was a very <laughs> sweet exchange. He took the milk. And then in the dream, he had a dream of Gopal appeared to him and he realized that was Krishna so he was like being himself on that was like God Krishna personally appeared to me I didn't even know <laughs> but he told he told Manavindrapur he said I'm you can find me in this bush it was a, a deity and so um, bring all the townsfolk and and, and rescue me and so they did and they worshipped there's a whole past life that was actually recited I believe it was recited um, by the Nityananda on um their tour. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. <coughs> yeah. Uh text twenty four purport last line. There's only two there's only two sentences I believe in that particular purport. So the performance of everything on behalf of the Supreme Personality of Godhead assures the perfection of all activity. I was looking at the, um, I was in the Veda base looking at the CC and it was stating, it states to attain perfection, one must make devotional service the center of one's life and to offer one's activities to Krishna as the essence of all perfection. I believe that this, this is, uh, I believe the pastime is Ramananda Roy is talking to Krishna or Lord Chaitanya and uh, Lord Chaitanya is just asking him so many questions about, you know, Ramananda Roy is explaining, and, and Lord Chaitanya is telling him, you can go deeper, go deeper, you know. Ultimately, um, in 8.59, he goes on to say, so whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we offer, whatever we give, all should be offered to Krishna. All these things are, as Prabhupada states in the verse that you said, are the purport scientific executions that help us to develop greater attachment to Krishna. And ultimately develop pure love for him. I think that that's kind of where Ramananda Roy was going towards, uh, you know, pure prema love in, in a conjugal state, I believe. Is that the Tell highest? Me more. Tell me more. Yeah, I think it eventually took him there. Right? Did it culminate? It culminated in Radharani. Until Radharani, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, one of these things, that, so what I said is all these things are as. I think it's just really Krishna just really facilitating all of us, giving us all these different ways for us to really engage. And ultimately, it's just for us to develop, you know, just greater attachment and ultimately develop, you know, love for God. Um, I think that's the goal of the Vedas is to really know Krishna and to love Krishna. So, yeah, that's, that's my understanding of that. So there's higher, there's higher troops, there's more relishable troops. But that's a good start and Krishna gives us that. So I think that's really sweet. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, to continue to uh, get to know Krishna and ultimately one day if I am, if I, by Krishna's mercy, we can, uh, we can develop a little bit of love for him and go back home, back to Godhead. Nice. Hopefully. <laughs> Very nice. You were saying all these nice things. Don't go on, go further. Please go further. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did anybody else bring anything this year? Okay. So we're we're still we're, we're finishing up the seventeenth chapter. Okay. There's divisions of faith, and uh, Krishna is talking about how people uh, they concoct their own ideas about what is right, 
for what is good. But Krishna is saying, no, that's all just according to the modes of nature. He's basically saying we actually have to follow, you know, Shastra, the mode of goodness, and ultimately um, begin offering ourselves to Om Tat Sat, or the Absolute Truth, is a devotional offering. After <clears throat> rising above the mode of goodness. Yes. Goodness. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So again, Marie Mohini is in France, so we don't have the pleasure of hearing from her. But she is, hopefully she's making connections with devotees there. I know there's some nice devotees in France too. Is she so. doing okay with her life? Yeah, it was recovering pretty quickly. Because she came to visit up in John Lofton. So, this is one statement from the um, purport, I believe, to the last verse. And anything done without the transcendental objective, whether it be sacrifice, charity, or penance, is useless. So again, anything done without the transcendental objective, whether it be sacrifice, charity, or penance, is useless. And this is Prabhupada. So uh, my understanding is, as good as something may seem, It is not so if done with trans. It is not so if not done with transcendental objective. However, motive, goodness, sacrifices, charity, penances, and austerities breeds a consciousness receptive to higher knowledge. Also, good qualities in the living entity often enable one to accept knowledge from the spiritual master and thereby be enlightened with transcendental knowledge. This was a case with Dhruva Maharaj, who had a mundane objective. Do you remember what his objective was? Uh, Dhruva Maharaj. It was a post higher than his grandfather's. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. He won the kingdom bigger than his father, who had a very large kingdom. Uh, at that time, the kings, these kings were often rulers of the whole world. <clears throat> this was the case with Dhruva Maharaj, who had a mundane objective, but accepted instructions from Narada Muni, who, who pure was purified through the sacred names of Krishna, thereby transforming his objective to pure devotional service. So we can see that Dhruva Maharaj, although he had this objective, he had a quality that was one of accepting instruction from his spiritual master. His first being his mother. We told him, well, God has found the forest. Why don't you go seek God in the forest? Because he wanted to ask God for this benediction. <laughs> so said, why don't you go to the forest? So he listened to his mother. It's a good, it's a good quality. Maybe like most a lot of kids these days don't listen to their parents. <laughs> so you can see the quality he had, respect for his mother, listening to his mother. He may not not have had a transcendental objective. Then he heard from Narada Muni, and that's when his devotion was was planted in his heart because he was given the holy names. He still had um, his mundane objective, but he had met uh, a pure devotee of Krishna, and he accepted the instructions of this devotee. And then, so through the purificatory process, of uh, another quality of his was he was completely determined. He was so focused. This is something that he's bringing with him from past lives. He has these qualities that are conducive, they're helpful. Like if somebody comes from a past life and they have really strong focus, it's helpful. A lot of people will come and they, they, they have you know, ADHD, they can't focus the mind. It's very difficult to practice yoga. But he had, you see, he had this quality, motor goodness quality, 
he was so focused that through his penance, like the demigods were having trouble breathing. <laughs> he was, I mean, it was intense, like intense devotion. We see a glimpse of something like that with, I mean, obviously on the flip side of it is with Imranya Kashyapu. Uh-huh. I mean, his intense, yeah. you know, I had to pay attention devotion. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but nonetheless, his intense austerity yeah. was affecting his mm-hmm. yeah. so That's how powerful true. attention yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually the goal of yoga, is to um, control the mind and senses and focus it on the right point. Being connection, that's what yoga means. You can't have a connection if you're not focused. Yeah. So, so this uh, done with, without the transcendental objective, can you talk a little bit about the transcendental objective? Could I, yeah. Could I um, continue what you're saying about Dhruva? Dhruva Maharaj? Okay, so... We'll get back to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like um, I think you're on that train of thought because this transcendental objective, he was looking for like, he thought this material opulence was the topmost, mm-hmm. and so that in order to achieve it, he had this advice that you go to Krishna in order to achieve it because he gives all benedictions and boons and this sort of thing, and so when he finally had Krishna in his presence, um he'd ask for what he was so devoted to ask about because that's the thing that came to his mind. But um, as soon as Krishna left, he had immediate regret because he said, even though I have the most like opulent kingdom, you know, I had you within my sights, you know, you were just within my grasp and now you're gone. And now I can serve you eternally and that's topmost, you know, now in the material universe, so it's higher than even Brahma's kingdom, but he, you know, lost lost track of what um, he'd realized in his presence only only after the fact that he was the transcendental objective and he was asking for something mundane, even though it's a transcendental, eternal planet. What one thing is that we have we have to reach the platform of bhakti yoga, um, and then our our life is meaningful. Like our existence is meaningful. Until we reach that platform, then we're still trying to climb our way up the, the yoga ladder. We're still trying to climb our way up in consciousness and we can slip and fall. So ultimately, Prabhupada saying ultimately, the transcendental objective is, is Krishna. And you bring out a really good point because Krishna, if you remember earlier in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna was saying there's four types of people that approach me. So even though they're approaching him, for mundane, they're approaching for mundane reasons. Of course, those who are seeking the absolute, Prabhupada said they're more or less pure. So that, that one is a little distinct. But the other three, they're all for mundane reasons. But still, the objective is Krishna, like you're saying. Like Dhruva Maharaj, he had a mundane objective for wealth, but with intensity, he was focusing on Krishna. Because Narada Muni gave him that mantra Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So he's chanting the names of Krishna intensely. And so his, it was a transcendental objective um, because the objective was to pray to Krishna. And when, when we uh, somehow or other get in contact with Krishna, we become purified. And that, that's really, um, like, in, in a nutshell, that's like what's, what's going on with us. Like, no one comes to God with pure intentions. What Prabhupada, what Prabhupada is saying is like ultimately the, the objective has to be uh, pure. 
Otherwise, if the objective doesn't ultimately become pure, then we're still going to be bound in this world. So it's useless until it becomes pure. And Prabhupada has this goal in mind because he wants us to go back to Godhead. And Prabhupada, you know, he's, he's strongly desiring us to not suffer anymore in this material world. But I think ultimately, like our like, like ultimately, Dhruvamara's objective became just Krishna, right? At the end, he just he's like, God, I was I was foolish for wanting this material opulence. Because I realized that you were saying that this jewel, this real jewel, which is you, is right in front of me. So, um, there's one, I can't remember the verse, but it says, somehow or other, somehow or other approach Krishna. (laughs) Somehow or other get people to approach Krishna. And in that way, um, that that objective is Krishna. And in that way, um, they can begin engaging in devotional service. So you were talking about the four different kinds of people. It just reminded me in uh, in Denver um, that there's uh, if you can say there's like a leader of the brahmacharis. That one Vinod, I think Vinod Prabhu. He said he was just um, looking to expand his consciousness, and then he happened to walk across the temple there in Denver. And I'll just always remember that because I think it's pretty rare for someone to just. Yeah legitimately be looking to expand their consciousness in a pure way and then to find Krishna like you're saying in that distinct way. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever like, hear that type of story. It's a rare again. way to approach God, yeah. Like Randall Swami has the same story. Like he was, was like one day he wouldn't go on this pilgrimage to India like with no money and like nothing. <laughs> he was like hitchhiking in the Middle East. Yeah. So it's a yeah, rare soul that just Approaching, like, I just want to know, like, who are you, God? Like, what's the absolute <laughs> what, is, what is my purpose here? That's, yeah, that's the rarest type of person. And, yeah, Prabhupada said that person is more or less pure. They're, they're coming from a very pure, pure state of consciousness. Is that, is that personality you were talking about, is that the one who said, he was just, I was just looking for broken glass? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, here's, I'll just read my understanding. Uh, goodness. Sometimes my finger reader doesn't work. Okay. <clears throat> so, through the strength of my spiritual master, dear Krishna, please transform my objective to only being desirous of serving you for your pleasure. If I perform sacrifices, charity, penance, austerity, speaking, eating, according to what I've, t- I've been taught by Guru Prampara, Srila Prabhupada and his faithful followers in the line of pure devotion, Surely, although a very fallen living entity, you will be inclined to transform my intention in this way. Um, so yeah, like the scientific process we were talking about, the purificatory process, and our objective has to be transformed. That's what Prabhupada is saying. Like, we have to ultimately have the objective to serve Krishna and please Krishna and uh, engage in his service without deviation. Um, and then everything will, will have um, purpose. Otherwise, purpose is useless. Yeah. This, this, that particular, uh, those particular lines from Prabhupada there reminds me of that Bible verse that talks about like anything devoid of love is basically like, mm-hmm. is it like instruments, like, like clanging instruments or something like that? Mm-hmm. But no. Anyways, I thought that's really interesting because in the same, it's kind of in that same kind of uh, vein. 
Yeah, as we come out of the timeout, you know, like yeah. we're, we're in like the material world is like a timeout. Yeah. Like we're like you've been naughty. Like sit here in the corner. Like ultimately, we have we, like to come out. We have to start engaging again in in our real life, which is a loving relationship with Krishna. Yeah. Otherwise, like okay, maybe we're making some progress towards like rectifying ourselves, but like when are we going to get back to our real life, which is with Krishna, mm-hmm. like in a loving relationship with Krishna? So that's what Papa is saying. It's useless. Yeah. It's like we got to get we got to get out of this punishment mode. <laughs> Ultimately, like this reformant, we have to somehow get out of this like, reformatory state. Be we have to be reformed. It's like you'd be in your, you know, your room and time out and do meditating or whatever, things like that, but until you actually try to call out to your mom and dad and tell them that you're, you know, apologetic for what you've done and that you really mean it. And do it maybe, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything bad. Yeah. Please, please forgive me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Do you have any final comments or... Discussion? Yeah. One point I, I think Donovan was re- real interesting is the fact that, and I think it's said it in so many ways, but it is the point that sometimes initially our intention may be for material things. But if we're, you know, if we're praying with that intention to and paying more attention to the eventually, you know, to God. Then eventually that material gain just kind of like, well, it's irrelevant now, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, even though your intention may be in the beginning on a material level, like I want more money or if I want a better house or I want this, or, you know, please, please give this to me. You, know, you see this in, you see in the Catholic Church quite a bit, you know, uh, over the, especially if you go to like uh, the Saint of Your Mission, you know, they have this whole room dedicated to just people. You know, just lighting candles for prayers for people, or usually for sickness or illness, or but sometimes it's for material things too. I was told, and they're they're lighting, you know, candles for that, and they're constantly praying. But they're praying to whom? Oh, they're praying to God. So God is there. God is in their minds. Eventually, if it's, I think if it's focused in the right way. In other words, like he was given the mantra to constantly chant the the holy names to try to get some gain. But eventually, that just the holy name just starts to take over, and then the material gain becomes a relevant thing at that point. Isn't yeah. that true? Oh, that yeah, that's what we have to we have to keep on engaging in the practice, yeah. and, and and no matter what happens in our life, you know, always chant our sixteen rounds because it's like that ultimately will, will bring us back to Godhead. Krishna Prabhupada said he said you can go back to Godhead because um, it's like. Um, yeah, no matter what our original state of consciousness is. Or, or it can happen the other way, too. We can, we can be pursuing God, and we get deviated. So we can have, we can have some good intention. Now, that's good. Like, like, and Krishna asked that question early on. He said, what if somebody who you know, engages in, in these practices, but is deviated, what of them? Do they disappear like a ribbon cloud in the sky? And Krishna says, no. Mm-hmm. Says, whatever whatever they, they did, is whatever... Whoever does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. So any advancement we make um, is is beneficial for us. Isn't that in the thing that I read? There's no loss of 
energy and acting in such a transcendental way. Yes. Yes. That stood out to me too. Yeah. It always picks up wherever we left off. Yes. Even for like a couple years, like for me. (laughs) But once I get back on the train, it feels like I'm right back in the same train car. Yeah, I mean, before you left, we were talking about Krishna, we were dancing in Kirtan, and now you're back in the spiritual world. So, so that's where like the mix, the mixed state of, until we're completely back to Godhead, it's always going to be kind of like, and that's why it's like, anchor yourself on your yoga practice, on your vows um, to do, your service, and if you have that sincerity, then you know, Krishna will definitely help you. Your heart will be purified. Yeah. Okay, so um, I want to mention um, chapter 18 has six different lessons. So we're not done yet. We may, we may have finished chapter 17, but there's six, there's six more to go. <laughs> so, but we'll definitely finish before the end of the year. And then I was thinking of... Um, just jumping right into nectar of instruction. Yeah. And then after that, doing Sri Shubhanashad. Mm-hmm. Uh, nectar of instruction? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sri Shubhanashad. Yeah. And then after that, we'll see how everything's doing. We'll see if anybody's even left here. <laughs> but, if anybody's, but if anybody's still here, <laughs> then we'll do nectar of devotion. Because I've never, I've never actually done a formal study of nectar devotion, so I think that could be really beneficial for us. It's inspiration for me to catch up on the Bhagavad Gita because in the eight or whatever years it is of knowing Lord Krishna, this is how far I've gotten in Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> like halfway. It's very powerful. One word. <laughs> <laughs> It is ecstasy, it's a one word. <laughs> it's very purifying. <laughs> it's very um, Okay, so who is coming on high now? One, two, three. Okay, very good. Because we have a little bit of small. I think Sherry's sure worse. Okay, wonderful. Okay, good. Jai. Jesse coming up? Coming up?